The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now, now when Jesus heard about the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. That story you just heard, our gospel story for today, is not only found in Matthew, but it's actually one of these stories that's found across all four gospels, from Matthew all the way to John. Every single one has this story, and and even in Matthew, we actually have an additional feeding of the 4,000. This feeding story is probably well known to you, but it's very central to what is being said about who God is. Who is this Jesus? What what does he mean for the world, for us as his people? So as such a central and repeated story, there's much said, there's much written about its meaning. I'm sure there are blogs as well. Some look at this story in, in kind of awe and wonder. They're really focused on this miracle that Jesus multiplies this meager meal into so much for so many. And they marvel at that miracle in itself and they connect it to this kind of train of other miracles that are happening, both in this story with all of the healings, but also other stories as well. These miracles that Jesus is performing, they're amazing. It's a spectacle in the best sense of the word. Some kind of take the other train and they focus in a much more earthly way and they want to 
kind of be scientific and explain exactly what happened, right? A more earthly interpretation, hypothesizing that, well, as Jesus shared the five loaves and two fish, people were inspired to share with one another until all had enough. They started to dig into their resources and say, well, let's share this and let's share that. I'm not so convinced about that story. (laughs) But the miracle then was that the people took care of one another. That's kind of how they see this miracle. And still some see a connection to the Exodus story. When you heard that God fed people with bread in a deserted place, that might have sparked for you if you're kind of an Old Testament scholar or a fan of God's word, which I'm guessing you are. Giving bread in the wilderness and and maybe forming kind of a new Exodus that follows Jesus now, not Moses. Pastor Bill, I know, is famous. Moses can't get you into the promised land, right? He doesn't actually get there. The law won't get you there. But Jesus now, the Exodus follows Jesus to the promised land of freedom through the cross and through the resurrection. But amidst all of this, these thoughts, I, of course, am going to give you the right answers in this sermon today. <laughs> well, perhaps not, but at least another lens to look at this. But let me first say that all of these interpretations are compelling to a certain extent, especially this connection to a, a new exodus. I think there's some real depth in that, in that sense, and I think there's truth in that as well. There's a lot of truth in this story today. But even more, this story is exciting to me because I feel like I see its purpose being played out all around us in the ministry of God's people. And I'll get to that kind of at the end here. One critical piece of this story is where and when it takes place. And that's not just true for this story. Any story you read, where and when does it take place, is vitally important. What's the context? Well, how many of you have heard of the Sea of Galilee? Show of hands. You've heard of the, just heard of it. Not you've been there, not you've dipped yourself in it, but just heard of it. Well, how many have heard of the Sea of Tiberias? Did you know? Yeah, they're the same, exactly. How many of you know that? Well, now you do. (laughs) They're the same body of water. If you find one, you found the other. Why is that true? Well, the Sea of Galilee got a new name courtesy of Herod Antipas, who was kind of trying to suck up to the emperor Tiberius. He was you know, trying to cozy up with Rome. He even set up a capital city with the same name on its shores. What an insult to God's people to name their waters and to name a city after the emperor that was suppressing them. Well, all this happened around the time that Jesus was growing up. And along with that came crippling taxes from the Roman state and an iron control of both fishing and farming. It's taxation, it's how it was done, all of these kinds of things. In other words, they had complete control of the bread and of the fish. Sound familiar? And these were the two main staples of this region. And so, in the ministry of Jesus, this story comes at a time when there is this question, who owns the earth, who owns the water, and who owns the produce of those places? Does God own them, or does Rome? Jesus steps squarely into that question in the story, and and maybe the answer here seems kind of obvious to us, right? Who owns those things? Duh, God, right? Easy answer there. And probably this isn't a, a really relevant question to us today. I mean, Rome is kind of long gone. 
Besides, Jesus didn't go out into this place intending to show God's power over Rome or any other empire. What do we, if we go back to the beginning of the story, Jesus went out to mourn the death of his friend. And as Kim Grasmick so eloquently pointed out in our Man of Bible study this week, Jesus was both a human mourning the death of his cousin and Jesus, as God, was grieving the deep injustice of the empire silencing another prophet. When tragedy strikes, God's heart is the first to break. And so it is with Jesus as he goes out to mourn. But yet as he goes out to do this into this deserted, into this quiet place, Jesus is met with the people who have kind of run around the lake. The people who are hungering for healing. They're hungering for the words of promise and presence that come from God through Jesus Christ. And ultimately at the end of the day they're hungry for a meal that spoke to the very real and earthly struggles of their lives. Who owns this earth? The oppressive taxation of the Roman Empire and all that went with that. In fact, Jesus' compassion for the wholeness of the people who have chased him down and his disciples as well for their healing, for their hearing, and for their hunger. That's what I would say are the three H's of the story. Healing, hearing, God's promises, God's word, and the hunger, the practical hunger of their stomachs. That he stands against his practical disciples. Send them away, they say. They don't want them to go away necessarily. They don't want to get off of this kind of high of the the healings and all the word that's coming and the promises that are coming. But they're practical. Send them away. Let them get food from the empire, right? Let them go and, and find food somewhere else. To which Jesus counters a very interesting word here. You give them something to eat. The disciples then respond with their scarcity. They respond in the way I would respond. Probably most of us would respond. Seriously, Jesus? We got five loaves and two fish. What's that going to do? But Jesus turns their scarcity into an abundance. Now, in one sense, this might be a setup. No way can the disciples produce enough food to feed 5,000 or 7,000 or 10,000 people, whatever the true count is. It's 5,000 men. They counted the men, not the women and the children. Let's go ahead and do that, right? More than 5,000. Whatever the actual number is. But isn't it interesting that Jesus continues to involve the disciples in the feeding? He doesn't say, you are right in saying this isn't enough, these five loaves and two fish. But sit back and watch what God can do with this. He doesn't produce manna out of nothing. He takes what they have. And what do you know? It's bread and it's fish. The center of this question, who owns the earth? Who owns the water? The very staples of life in this region and the very things the empire is trying to control and to own, he uses them as the seed of a miraculous feast, a sign of God's provision for the people. He takes what they have and makes it something more. It's a sign of God's reign over all things and God's deep compassion for the real needs of people. And in a way that will be reflected in the meal we share. These people are filled. 
But Jesus doesn't dismiss disciples at, disciples at that point. He continues to pull them in. You give them something to, be eat, to eat is beyond them in this miraculous multiplying of the elements, but it is not beyond them in the distribution to the people or the collection of the abundance that's left over afterwards. You see, God, Jesus doesn't just provide enough for everybody to have what they need. Jesus provides enough for them to be filled. And not only filled, but for there to be 12 baskets beyond that. Jesus is giving a sign that's like a neon sign that God not only owns, but God provides. The disciples are involved and pulled and invited into God's compassion and God's provision for the people. They are not just silent witnesses standing there like, wow, that was really cool what Jesus did. But they are pulled in to this miracle. They are active participants in the kingdom reality of God that both asserts God's ownership of the resources of this world and God's compassion for the work of justice that all may be filled The miracle is divine, but the purpose is very down-to-earth. God is not an idea or a show pony or, or something we just sort of look at or something we just sort of marvel at. This is not a performance by Jesus for us to go, wow, that was really cool. God is more than that. God is a provider. And God invites us as disciples into the privilege of sharing God's abundance. First, maybe to see it but then to share it. And this is as true today as it was then. Maybe we even start with a question in our own lives, the question of ownership, like we did in the children's sermon. Who owns the resources of this earth? Even my home or apartment. Who owns my stuff? And the answer to that question can help us see the miracle of God's provision. It can change our hearts from a selfish sense of scarcity and protecting what we have to a grateful heart that is not only willing, but actually hungry to share. I said before that I have seen this lived out. And certainly with trips and camps aplenty, I've seen it especially in the lives of our youth, who upon getting a taste for God's provision have hungered for more. They haven't said, yeah, I guess I'll do that. They've said, how can I do more? Hungry for worship and study of God's word, but then also hungry to put that vision into practice, to hear God's word, to be filled with God's promise, to see it acted out, and then to say, how can I put this into practice? To bring food and prayer to people who are in need, to be counselors for kids, to gather with each other, to hunger for community. To see the veil of God's abundant ownership and compassion and provision lifted so that the privilege of being invited into that distribution of God's kingdom and abundance becomes so compelling, there is a hunger for the next opportunity and the next and the next. And certainly we can see that in our ministry in all kinds of places, of quilters who week after week provide for those who need a sign of God's provision in the midst of tragedy. For those who consistently, week after week, provide meals to our community and hearty meals. And not only meals, but also compassion and conversation, listening and telling stories with one another. The ministry in cottage, the Cottage Bay Apartments over this summer, which is, again is not just food, but also playing with children. 
helping them to know that they are seen and heard and valued, promising them through our words, our actions, and God's provision that they are children of God and that they have value beyond what they might know themselves. Seeing that at camps as well. In all kinds of ways, this story continues to be lived out. You know, it reminds me a little bit of of our camp this week. When we taught the kids uh, something, we said we were looking at um, at that uh, the lawyer's question in the Gospels, where he says, "You know, um, what's the greatest commandment?" And in some of the Gospels, Jesus answers it, and some of the Gospels, Jesus compels this lawyer to answer it. But however you read it, and it is that what we all know: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength is sometimes added, and your neighbor as yourself. And so what we did is we worked with, with the kids, and I think kind of leads us into this story as well, is we said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, right? Our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. See if you can do that. They could do it. I got you guys can. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And we said to them, and I'm sure you're seeing it too, what does that look like to you? Hmm? Right? Now, if we're so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, we fall over, right? But if we're so focused and just on what we can do and what our resources are, we kind of fall into that. We own it. We control it. We provide it. And this can fall flat. They both seem to go together. Try it again with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. I think in that symbol of the cross, we can be reminded of what's provided in this story our relationship with God and God's abundance and our thankfulness to God, and then also our call to provide and to share and to know one another. And the feeding of the 5,000 continues to live in our hearts, in our minds, in the word of God, and in the ministry that flows from that word. Thanks be to God for this story, for the ministry we share. In Jesus' name, amen.
you find a soul as there. We continue to confess and hear the good news in our baptismal creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father.